Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from Atlantic State Journal, a Detroit Free Press, focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and producer. Joining me this week are two sports writers who love a 7.30 p.m. start to a football game. It's Detroit Free Press beat writer Chris Solari and Lansing State Journal sports columnist Graham Couch. Chris, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, you know what the best part about that 7.30 p.m. kickoff is? Um, I'll, I'll, I've in? got... I've got I've got about 11 more days to do some sleep banking. <laughs> we know that worked very well for the uh, Michigan State football team on its trip to Washington. So I expect excuse me, I expect a 100% success rate there for you, Chris. Graham, how are you? I'm well. And uh yeah, no, I I, I actually appreciate it cuz I'll just be up for the Premier League game still on Sunday. So huh. you're going to do it. The the 4 o'clock games are almost worse cuz then you're you're waking up on short sleep. So Give me, give me 7.30 all day. I'll sleep during the NFL games. <laughs> this transition to you being a soccer guy over the past year and a half is quite something, Graham. And that comes from someone who has been following soccer for, for quite a long time. <laughs> that's, that, that, that's one way to put it. Quite something is very much <laughs> one way to put it. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I discovered the light, so to speak. You know, I saw the light. And I've always been a soccer guy to some degree, but I realized – Hey, a sport that's uh, more aesthetically pleasing that doesn't have four-minute commercial breaks every 30 seconds um, is actually where I'd rather spend my free time. Yeah, being in and out of a game in two hours is definitely one of the, the perks of of being a soccer fan and, and watching all the soccer. But uh, I digress. Yeah, the, the, down, the downside is, of course, watching the soccer. Oh, Got to appreciate the beautiful game, game in some aspects, Chris. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, well, let's not ugly talk about American. <laughs> All right. Well, let's not talk about soccer anymore. Let's uh, move on to uh, Michigan State football, which is coming off a big win on Saturday, which was also homecoming as the Spartans uh, defeated Wisconsin. Um, and that gives them a little bit of momentum heading into what is the bye week this week. And then, of course, uh, the Michigan game in Ann Arbor at the end of the month. So, uh, Chris, uh, you know, that win on Saturday ended a, a four game losing streak for the Spartans. Um, uh, what positive takeaways c- can we see from that? Is Jacoby Winman moving the linebacker and then the shift from the, to the five DBs to the four, three. I mean, I suspect those are things we're going to see for, for at least a couple games here. Yeah, I would think so as well, because a lot of these teams coming up are power run teams that, you know, that, that obviously gave them a little bit of an edge. Um, and it seemed to have helped the back end a little bit. Now they're not going to face a quarterback like Graham Mertz the rest of the season. And, and I don't mean that in a good way. Right, um, right. <laughs> you know, the, the quarterbacks quarterbacks are going to be better than that. Um, but you know, obviously like we talked about last week, if you lose that game to Wisconsin, the chances of making a bowl are almost nil. Uh, now you, now you're at three wins, 
Um, you need three in the last five, which isn't going to be easy anyways, because three of those teams are ranked. Illinois is playing much better. You've got Michigan up next on the road. You've got Illinois after that on the road. You've got Penn State at Penn State. Um, so you got to get one of those three plus hold court at home, um, which they weren't able to do against Minnesota. So that in and of itself, being able to kind of get a better feeling at home, get the win and, and keep that, keep that bowl uh, possibility alive is so critical because this is a team that needed that hope and needed that carrot out there. Um, I think if had they lost that game, it might've been hard to summon up uh, the energy for those last four games it won't be won't be in in 11 days or whenever it is that that the Michigan game is that's always going to be a game it's what will come after that like how would you how would this team knowing that they only have two maybe three wins if they somehow would have pulled a Michigan upset um, how would they have handled that uh, the rest of the season but this was this was certainly something getting back in that that left side of the column brought some energy going into the bye week it was because of the it's not just so much what's still at stake because they won this game it's a couple things one it's the misery it prevents i I just think that it was going to be a a tough place to pull themselves out of um mentally and then you go to michigan and then you play illinois who maybe is nearly as good as michigan um and until you're you're almost certainly uh you know two and seven at that point and instead a couple things happen one yeah you're still playing for a bowl game and I don't even think getting a bowl game this year is all that important in the grand scheme of things but what you're probably going to be doing at the bare minimum is playing for a bowl game up into the final week so there's something always still at stake and I think that matters and I think at the, at the end of the, the end of the day your, your your disastrous season that went poorly is is five and seven and you're playing for something up to the final game and going into signing day. And I'll, I, I don't think that's the end of the world. I think the other thing was they found some things that were improved. And like Chris said, the, there will be um, more challenging opponents. And, and I do think Wisconsin's defense is as bad as they've been in a while. But I, but I also think that, um, you know, it's, it's, there are things that they can say, boy, if we can do this, this can carry over. Some of the stuff, with their playmakers and Jaden Reed playing at a level that, that he hasn't yet this year. Um, and, and what that does for guys like Keon Coleman and Peyton Thorne, you see Malik Carr get back involved. Now all that to me is predicated on the offensive line, at least being able to hold up, but there becomes this sort of bit. If you can do that, those guys can become cause problems for every team. Every team they're playing from this point forward is much more run centric. Now they may decide to pick on Michigan state's pass defense, but so some of the stuff that, and that said, I thought Wisconsin ran the ball pretty effectively at times. So that wasn't like like Michigan's going to cause serious problems, perhaps. But there were things on the defensive side, having Xavier Henderson back and, and having Jacoby Winmon look that natural linebacker. So there are some things that they can draw on and say they might just be a little bit better now, and it gives them a chance to be more competitive the rest of the way. Braylon Allen's a beast. I'm not, you know, I say that about Graham Mertz. I'm not sure they face another running back quite like. Braylon Allen. Not that they don't face good running backs, but I was gonna say I think Blake. I think I think Blake Corum will have something to say about that. <laughs> well, oh, I'm not saying that they're not facing those kind of running backs, like good running backs and really good running backs. I'm just saying the size factor that he has and his downhill ability. Um, you know, he yeah. he is he is a, a load to try and bring down. Um, 
you know, the other, you know, obviously, they, they, but they've had success up front. I, I mean, obviously, getting Jacob Slade back changes that that front four uh, immeasurably because now you can get Simeon Barrow, who, who's played well, but you know, you're starting to see in that game when they're when he doesn't get double teamed like he had been. Boy, he's he's able to come off and show that burst, and the, both of those guys were able to collapse the pocket at times and get that pressure that helps the coverage. Um, I think if there's a detriment um, to what what they showed, I mean, you, you, I think part of it is you have to get that game experience if you're going to use more of a base four three. Um, but now the element of surprise isn't there, and the tape is out. So opposing offensive coordinators now have a little bit of an idea of of some weak spots in it that they can attack, um, and, and you know, will they be able to? keep a team under 300 yards again. I mean, who knows? Um, but it certainly caught Wisconsin off guard and they weren't able to adjust to it. Uh, I, I But it'll be curious to see, because I do think they would like to have, be able to blend that 4-2-5 with some 4-3 and, you know, other elements. That's something that I think they had, you know, that Mel Tucker and Scotty Hayes have both talked about kind of being multiple coming into the year, but they haven't been uh, really up until this point. Um, and and I, I'll tell you, Graham, I don't know about you, but watching Winmon at linebacker kind of makes you scratch your head and go, what if he was there along with Darius Snow and how much different would that 425 have looked with those two guys there to be able to cover out in in space and 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 come down and run support. Well it also makes you wonder like why they didn't see that earlier. Like there so there are some things about this oh, game. I, they, I I think they saw it. I think they I mean he talked about being thin at defensive end, which not, I, like, I, it doesn't make sense. Like they didn't really I get back at defensive I, end. Like I think they're thinner now than they were at the beginning of the season. Right, defensive right. end. Like to me, and, and I look, there. So, so we've talked sort of about the positive of it, and I think there were some things though that are, are were were concerning about the game. I don't think, for one, I don't think the coaching staff did anything to turn the confidence meter in them around. Uh, and so, on one hand, you've got this culture and this team that played hard and has not quit on the season and you did credit to scotty hazelton and that defensive staff they found something and they they got some guys healthy and they switched to something that that, that worked more effectively and the flip side of that you had some i think some um game management and clock management late in that game that that that, that concerned people because again it's like dan campbell and the lions right it's it, it it's it's not the biggest deal right now but eventually you're gonna be playing for something that really really means something and and you don't want to you want to be able to trust your coach in those in those settings. But I also think that the and, and I do like the Winmon thing. Like he obviously had two great games at defensive end to start the year, so I get why you think that's working. And then you know it doesn't really work at at. Um, but I, I think after the Minnesota game, moving him before the Maryland game might have might have had some effect or something because he just looks like he's in such a natural linebacker and has so much more ability to be creative as a playmaker there and have an impact on the game that he did at defensive end. And I'm not saying they beat Maryland because the defense wasn't awful that day. I mean, it just seems like they might've been able to do this a little sooner. Yeah. I think it was also granted you touched upon this. It was just nice to have a health, what appeared to be a healthy Jaden Reed there on the offense. And you saw what a healthy Jaden Reed can do. He's a guy you can find in almost all instances and for key plays and whatnot. And, the Thorn to Reed connection, uh, you know, finally clicked for the first time in seven games this year. So uh, that, that'll be something I think they can hang their hat on moving forward. 
it, he looks like a guy, like a play, yeah. like a serious guy is a problem for people, and they they need that, and they, they have not had that. Yeah, and he had the punt return touchdown that was called back. Yeah. So yes. Well, you know what's funny about that is that I, I I mean it is cliche that you know, and I get fans you know kind of bristling at hearing that multiple times per game and week in week out about Reed and Thorne having played together since middle school, but. I mean, you can't you can't say enough about the connection that the two have built over that time because there's that's a lot of football. That's a lot of football knowledge and experience and snaps between them shared. And especially for a team like this that's brought in so many transfers uh, over the course of the last few years that don't have that level of experience together. Um, that's important. That's really important. I mean, you see at times, you know, that. I mean, the check that he made, Thorne, at the line in, in overtime, uh, he knew he had his 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 guy isolated one-on-one. And, uh, you know, he knows where he wants the ball. You know, all he knows how to throw it. And, and Reed knows how the ball is going to come to him and where it's going to come. That's a lot. That's a lot of things that make that connection so vital to this team, uh, you know, from whenever they started playing together to now because – you know they they need that they need that offense needs that and when that connection is working that allows everything else around it to flow yeah graham i want to revisit something you said earlier talking about maybe not positives to take away uh, i was listening to uh the radio call of the game on saturday at least in the fourth quarter and uh i had no idea what happened on the final play uh the radio guy goes uh they're running onto the field to ten- attempt the game winning field goal long pause Behringer throws it Long pause, commercial. Three minutes later, we get an explanation of what happened. So I had, I was like, I had no idea what happened on that. But that was, uh, but then after I went back and you know watched the video, that was, uh, that was just not good, Graham. Like you were saying. Well, yeah, and, and <laughs> I feel bad. I love Blaha; he's a legend. So I, I, <laughs> that's not, not a great moment for George. But you know what? The Pistons are starting, so he's got bigger things on his mind. Yeah. Um, and I'll always protect Lord George Blaha. Like he's, yeah, you know, yeah no, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not throwing shit out. It was just hilarious. I'm just like, well, no, yeah, well, what happened here? What happened here, guys? Yeah, and, and you know, <laughs> so there are a couple things that were, were, were a little puzzling on that drive. Like they they used their timeouts on some runs early and then didn't have one when they needed it. And then you had sort of that weird, obvious play that, that was snuffed out where, you know, reads inbounds and it forces the fire drill. I don't, I don't actually usually hate the fire drill. Um, because I believe the less kickers can think, uh, the better. Like, I actually think as long as you've got time to do it, um, that's better for the kicker sometimes not to have, like, the timeouts and all that stuff. But you also got a backup long snapper in this set. Yep. And so being settled was much more important than, than it would be in, in normal times. And so that that was just, you know, it was not a great final drive. And it's not that it's unforgivable. It's not that... Great coaches don't make mistakes. It's just that when you're a staff that is, you know, went from a year ago where everything seemed very, very competent, and then you have a year where it, it, things haven't felt that way, uh, there's just I, I understand why people are a little concerned, uh, and you don't want to, you know, nobody likes having the the coach who's time management or game management they can't trust, and and uh, um, it doesn't mean look for years everybody made fun of Andy Reid for that, right, and. Still do to some degree, but he's won a Super Bowl. He's got Pat Mahomes. They're great. You don't hear that anymore. It's not like it's not like it has to become a thing. It's just that it, in this particular game, uh, it certainly was. And the other thing is, I, I think it's just important if you're 
for the staff to to feel like it's ahead of the fan base on things. You don't want like the Elijah Collins thing. Every fan has said, well, th- they can see it, and and it, it took a while to get him in there. Like you don't want to feel like you're being pulled along into something. And I'm not saying they are necessarily. I just you want to be introducing fans to something like, oh my gosh, look what the staff knew it had, and this is you know, and it's sort of the opposite with him too. So there are, there are a couple little things I think that are that that have people a little frustrated, but um, overall that just, just a, a massive win and, and changes the, the mindset and the, uh, just the, the spirit of things heading into the Michigan game. Yeah. That you, you hit it right on the head with that last possession. I mean, that is the ultimate KYP, right? Know your personnel. I mean, you have to know that you have a backup long snapper in there. You have to know that that backup long snapper hasn't been he he hasn't had any major flubs but there have been some things that you looked at and it was a little bit tenuous um so you you kind of yeah you're right you got to put them in the best position to succeed i'm not necessarily sure if that was the best position um you know obviously Patton, who was really in his first full game uh as kicker he missed one down at maryland um and then was yanked for jack stone again um, and they've had problems in the kicking games. It is, you don't want to make the problem worse. You don't want to exacerbate the issues and ultimately I mean, credit Behringer, by the way, because, you know, there was one play for him to make at that point and it wasn't trying to run for a first down. It wasn't anything. It was literally throw it up downfield and see if something can happen. And, you know, it obviously got picked off, but that was the, that was the only play, but you shouldn't have that in that, have them in that moment. You shouldn't be running to me, you know, down the line of scrimmage, throwing the ball. Um, I know you only need a couple yards for a first down, but, um, you know, that was as easily snuffed out maybe as any play MSU had all day. I mean, Wisconsin defensive back was all over that. So, um, yeah, and then, and then, you know, the other thing, we, we talk about that one, the other end of the half play was even weirder because they get the ball somewhere around like the 35-40 yard line. Basically, you either have a chance for one play or take a knee. Well, not only do they try one play, they try and throw the ball. Well, they th- do. They throw the ball down the line of scrimmage again to Tyler Hunt, of all people because he's not going to go 65 yards for a touchdown. So why would you even put the ball in the air at that moment if it's not a meant, not meant to score? Because the risk-reward there is quite literally a pick six the other way, if it's read anywhere near like what the, the Jaden Reed play was read. So yeah, there were a couple kind of really puzzling moves by Jay Johnson and in, in that whole game that I thought were, were kind of – but then he – then he goes out and runs an end-around pass for Jaden Reed to Keon Coleman yep. right after it. So, I mean, you know, high risk, high reward sometimes is good. But, I mean, you know, this you're never going to call a perfect game, but you got to know the moment. You got to know the personnel. Well, I would say that's just a microcosm of the entire Mel Tucker, Jay Johnson era. It seems like they are, they are really flying by the seat of their pants a lot of times in, in all of these games. Well, sometimes. But I would say this. When you don't have – uh, throughout some time, a, a line that you can rely upon, it is tough. Like your game plan is predicated on being able to do certain things, and all of a sudden you can't do them, which affects everything. 
And so I do think it, I, I think it's very hard to call a game where you cannot you're not winning up front. And like I just don't blame them at all for like Ohio State. And I and I thought you know uh, there were some moments in this game I thought that were really um, you know there's times you like they're on the goal line and they're running out of a shotgun. You're going and eh, it doesn't work. And and but then there there were some other like there, the the Jalen Berger touchdown run was just you know some really good motion misdirection stuff that led to that. Like so it's you know. Unless you're, I mean, it, it's interesting when you talk to coaches about this. Sometimes coaches who watch the game be like, "Yeah, I actually thought that was called really well," and 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 uh, people really know the sport. And then other times people say, "Yeah, you know, it seems like we're doing a lot more of this." So, uh, you know, I, I think it's a mixed bag, and it's a, it's a tough job, and it's it's. Um, I, I think the biggest thing that comes out of that though is the guy who was under the most fire, Hazelton, certainly uh, I, I think had a, had himself a day. And had himself an adjustment, and it worked. And yeah, Xavier Henderson, Jacob Slade, a big part of that is Winmon move part of that. Yeah, but those, those are still. I mean, he had those guys at his disposal, and 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 now we'll see. You know what they're able to do against a couple opponents that are really feeling themselves, because obviously Michigan is zeroed in on beating Michigan State, and and then Illinois is having that initial rise year and could wind up winning the West. And, and uh, so when, when you play those sort of teams where things are going right for them and, and, and they're cre- you know, and they've got some matchups, that are going to be problems for you. Um, this is, this is when the staff's got to earn its money. Yeah. I don't know how much you guys saw the Michigan Penn state game, but it was a game. It was similar to the Ohio state uh, Michigan game last year, where it was close in the first half and the second half, the Wolverines just kind of battered down on Penn state and really padded up that scoreline there a little bit. And, uh, and we're eleven days away from that game, but I, I, am, I know Graham, you've already offered a couple <laughs> couples on on Twitter, so it's just going to be a long eleven days for anybody associated with those two programs. Well, and as long as you're willing to have Twitter. fun with it, yeah. yeah, as long as you can have fun with it. There's fine. no, there's no such thing as having fun on Twitter with the, these two teams, unfortunately. <laughs> if you're not, but if you're not invested, like you're a Ball State guy, like for you, I mean, I get it. But if you're a fan of one of these sides, I can totally understand why this is, you, you know, is, is enjoyable. Ball State big win, big win against UConn this weekend. So there you go. You know, it's inching our way toward bowl, bowl eligibility, and that's coming off beating uh, Central the week before. So, boom. Sorry, Central Michigan alums who also listen to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm just curious. Did, did Graham just call them sides? Yes, he is a uh, wow. A true again, true soccer guy. I mean, we're gonna have to add random soccer references <laughs> into the. Into yeah, the, I'm not the Western, Mich- Western Michigan and South Dakota references here. I'm not going to be that dumb American announcer who calls something level um, because that's not something we say in this country, and they need to understand that. Nor will I get my tenses wrong, and or or my, um, you know, like uh, Portland uh, have scored. No, has scored. I like just because just because they're doing something in England doesn't mean we have to change our whole language around it. Sorry, little tangent. Yeah. I like I use I like level. I use it in soccer stories, but I don't use it in, in other uh, sports when describing something. So this discussion is nil nil. Yeah, it's a bye week, so you know what we got we got a little freedom here. I don't know. Uh, how, well, how much do you guys want to dive into Michigan game where we can kind of put that off to next week? I thought maybe we could maybe just kind of look at the Spartans in a big picture view as like a mid season report card type thing here with uh, with the break here. So I kind of want to start there, and I'll have you go first here, Graham. You know. Uh, Obviously, the three and four at the moment with, after the win on Saturday, and 
I don't think this is where we thought they would be at this point, or maybe maybe you did. I did not go back and revisit your predictions column before either of your guys' prediction column before the season started. But uh, I mean, I, I assume based on the way we've talked about these guys in every single podcast this season, I've got to believe that you kind of feel this has been a, a, a pretty good tinge of disappointment for what the Spartans have done so far in 2022. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, I, I, you know, there were things there were. They've been ravaged by injuries at the wrong spot. They didn't have enough depth in those places uh, to overcome it. Um, the Jaden, I mean, looking back on it, like some of it is our own foolishness. Some of it is um, sort of the the air about the program, though. I mean, there's a lot of swagger coming into this year, right? And recruiting and 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 Tuck coming and all this stuff, and and you know, so there wasn't this. There, there wasn't the staff like I, I've covered teams before where, you know, members of the staff would kind of pull you inside and go, you know, this, this could be a struggle <laughs> like or this is, uh, you know, or these guys that people think we might win this. Uh, and there wasn't even there wasn't that sense. Right. And maybe there just aren't those relationships yet. But um, the so I, I think that's part of it. But when you look back on it, the idea that we thought. That the Washington game without Jaden Reed. Um, without Jacob Slade, without Xavier Henderson, going west to play that offense and that setting was anything but what it was is really ridiculous now in hindsight. Yeah. And you, we have the ability to see hindsight. So there are certain things. I think that the games that are bad, I do not think that Washington is that big a deal. Ohio State is what it is. They actually did some decent things. I think the game that stands out more than anything is Minnesota. Oh yeah, yeah. They, they were just non-competitive that day. Yeah, and and you know that that's they really played unacceptable football for for any year. And then the, the Maryland game was was sort of weird and interesting. And Maryland was feeling itself a little bit at the time coming off that Michigan game, and they were and, I, and Maryland's got some things that Michigan State doesn't. But I, I think that's a that's the sort of game if things are going well, you can win. Like for example, if they were to play that game next week. And obviously, I know Maryland's got its own injury now at the quarterback position. But even healthy, I think that might be a different game. Michigan State feeling a little different about itself, a little healthier. Michigan State would not have gone 0-3 in those three games with the roster they put on the field against Wisconsin. And I, I do believe that. Chris, what about you? Your overall thoughts and observations set through seven games. You can't look at this team and not think, see the injuries uh, that, you know, particularly Slade and Henderson. I think those two were guys and snow to us to a lesser degree because we don't know exactly how he would have looked at linebacker but by all accounts how he played at nickel last year kind of gives you an idea that he would have been integral too but those but at slade and snow in particular the front and the back um you know you can direct traffic in front of you if you're xavier henderson they didn't have that um and I think that, you know, that was a big, for the defense, that was a big, big loss. Um, you know, that said, I mean, they were still getting gouged like they were last year when he was on the field. So, you know, how much can you look at that? I mean, honestly, like the issues that we knew coming into the season have been the issues that have been the problem. The offensive line and the secondary, plain and simple. I mean, you know, there hasn't been much year two over year three growth there. Um you know, against better offensive lines, particularly that Minnesota game, um, you know, they, they excuse me, against better, more experienced, older guys, like in that Minnesota game, the offensive line looked bad and couldn't get any traction. And, 
failed to run the ball and saw it again with Ohio State. Again, something that you expected in some respects, but not necessarily to the level of problem. I mean, you know, we're literally seeing them use the same six guys in the offensive line with minimal success. So where's the development of the younger guys? Because they had some guys they brought in in the 21 class that they like that haven't cracked the rotation. They've got some true freshmen that it obviously takes time for to to get to that level of playing Big Ten Power 5 football. But if they're better than the guys that are there, you got to play them. I mean, you know, Kevin Jarvis and, you know, uh, Nick Samak and J.D. Duplain, all those guys that were parts of that line last year all played when they were young, freshmen, redshirt freshmen. Um, so, you know, that'll be interesting, I think, to see if those guys make some development here to get into that rotation to to change some of that in the final five games. But up to now, that's been a problem up front. And, you know, you haven't seen the things that were billed with Berger and Broussard. I think Berger, you can see why Berger is ahead of the curve with the two of them. Um, because it seems like Broussard, every time he goes to make a touch or get a, a cut and, and, you know, gets hit, he, he's going down because he is a smaller back. Um, and, you know, Berger runs a little more upright with a little more power at times, but still Elijah Collins is the guy that runs with the most power and is getting fewer carries. So it's clearly a situation they have not really addressed well. And, you know, I think he got the 14 carries that Elijah Collins got last week were the most he's had since 2019. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and I think that those problems up front have compounded some of the issues that people have seen with Peyton Thorne, where everybody says change the quarterback. Well, you can't change the offensive line. You know, you've still got an offensive line that, you know, who was blocking for Noah Kim and allowing Noah Kim to do the things he did, but it was against second and third string defenses and that were playing prevent. So you had... Michigan State's ones plus Noah Kim going against backups and third stringers. So it's not a really good subset. But Thorne, I think, last week against Wisconsin showed why he's still the quarterback. Um, and, and we talked about the read connection, but he's he's been he was able to spread that ball around at times. That throw to Trey Mosley uh, on the goal line to get a first down was was an absolute bullet and a great read. You know, one of those plays that goes unnoticed in some ways that that allowed, I think it was the Collins touchdown run. Uh, set that up. So, so if I looked at it at the midpoint, I think probably the biggest thing is we haven't the the problems that we thought would be the problem might be the problems are, and those problems are bigger than any development that we've seen from other position groups and areas that of need to to kind of mask those problems. Yep, I agree with that. So, what I want to do with you guys is I want to go by each position group and. Uh, and give each of them grades. And you guys have two different grading systems. Graham, I know you use numbers from 1 to 10. Chris, I know you use the school letter system, A to F. So you guys can use continue using your normal uh, normal system to to evaluate these. And let's start with Graham and the offense. Where, where are you ranking them on a scale of 1 to 10? Yeah, I, I struggle with the alphabet, so I stick with the numbers <laughs> so I can get to 10. Um, yeah, I would put them at a... Uh, Somewhere in the the, the, the three range, mm-hmm. relative to expectations. Everything is relative always to expectations, right? Sure. Like people yes. got higher scores against Ohio State than, than people may think they deserve. But um, because, you know, there have been – I think the offensive line has been largely a, a, a big disappointment, a big problem. Um, 
but everything else, and, and I don't think Peyton Thorne has taken that step to be able to really elevate an offense. I also think he's had uh, a, a tough deck to work with with um, some of the uh, the injuries with, and, and then not having the line protect him. So the jury's still out on exactly what his ceiling is and where he can get to. And I think we saw some of the advantages of him. Um, and, and, and the most recent game, the I think the running backs are okay. I think the rediscovery of Elijah Collins is good. Um, I think the receivers have a, you know, we thought Keon Coleman maybe was really coming alive when, um, uh, when you know, the moments at Washington and, and whatnot. And it's taken him a little more time, and that, that's fine. He's just, it's good for MSU's basketball team probably because that, that looks like a guy who's going to be around MSU for long enough to want to play one more year of basketball. Um, we'll see what Malik Carr decides. But uh, I, so I would, I would give it a, a three probably. Chris? Yeah, I think that. I would probably go a, a C minus. I, I think that, you know, the, the lack of development on the offensive line, um, while concerning and problematic is, is not unexpected. I mean, if you watch that team in the, the peach bowl without Kenneth Walker, um, without Kevin Jarvis, um, that there were there were issues in running the ball, and we've seen those continue against Power Five opponents throughout this this season. Um, I think that looking at the the receivers, I think you know we haven't seen a lot of Jeremy Bernard, but there are points where you see some explosiveness with him. Um, but they've really only rolled three deep for the most part with with Reed uh, Coleman and Trey Mosley, and I, I I kind of agree with what Graham said. Um, that you know, Coleman has, I think, in times, kind of taken a back seat because of the need for that connection with Reed and Thorne. Um, but you know, that second half of the Wisconsin game, you started seeing them go more and more that direction, which I think you know, they got to complement each other. You know, you talk about complementary football. You talk about the the receivers need to complement each other to allow each to get open. And, and pull away double teams from either of them. So, and Trey Mosley, I think, has done just basically what Trey Mosley did last year. He's been a steady kind of hands guy that that gets you big plays. The tight ends, I think, are are a little disappointing. Um, I, I really expected more until really Malik Carr's catch last week, uh, that seventy-two yarder, which you know that was a pure coverage bust that Thorne spotted. Um, you know they haven't they haven't produced nearly at the level I, I anticipated. Particularly if the pass if the run game is struggling, those quick hitters to the tight end seem like they would be there. But you know we haven't seen enough. I think of Barker Hunt and, and Carr um, that really that they they need to elevate them themselves and their play a little bit. And then the running backs, you know I you know I, as I said a little bit about the Berger and Broussard, um, maybe the expectations were a little bit high uh, because everyone coming off Kenneth Walker thought you can get the next Kenneth Walker or replicate what Kenneth Walker did with a couple guys, but it's not particularly that simple, particularly with the line in front of them. Same goes with Thorne. I mean, you see the the effect that Kenneth Walker had in allowing those guys to do the the things that they did in the past game a year ago. Now all the eyeballs are focused on Thorne and, and the receivers. Um, you know, that's uh that that's added and compounded some things, but they also have shown at times the ability to carry this team. It would be interesting to see the the back five games, if that continues or if they're able to figure out some things in the run game to 
to help alleviate some of that strain on the pass game. Graham, your grade for the defense, or your yeah, your score for the defense. Yeah, I'd, I'd put it at a um, probably a two but two and a half. Um, you know, I, I do think they, they drew a little bit of a line in the sand last week as a staff, as a, as a team, and, and, and got it done. And I think that was a really important moment because before that, the grade was pretty was pretty bleak. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't give you a ton of credit for what you did against a backup quarterback against Akron or, um, you know, what happened with Western Michigan. Since then, it had been, you know, they didn't force a punt against Minnesota. And, um, you know, they struggled mightily against Washington and, and – you know, a little better. The second half against Maryland was, I think, some some promising moments, and and then Ohio State to Ohio State, so um, could have been worse, I guess. But the, I think, you know, the, the things we wondered coming into the season were the, you know, would would they have a pass rusher? You know, what what's would their secondary been be improved? And for a moment, it looked like they struck gold with with Winmon, and you know, he, he's a good good college defensive end. He is not a guy who's going to make the difference that I think he can at linebacker. He looks like he might be an NFL player at linebacker. And, and that's where they really need to keep him. And, and, um, I, I he just seems to make a difference. And, and then, you know, the injuries certainly are, are part of the story, but I two and a half. Chris. Yeah. I, I kind of agree with Graham probably give him around a D grade on my scale. Um, because the pass defense has had the problems that it has. I mean, you know, if if the coaches want to continue to say that injuries don't matter and it's next man up, uh, which I think Mel Tucker has kind of in the last couple days gone away from it as the guys got back, um, you know, but still you, you got to get the production, and that's somewhat on the coaches for, you know, a lot of different reasons. Um, but I, I think that, you know, the, the fact that they got shredded as badly as they have in the secondary again, the fact that they failed to generate much of a pass rush during that losing streak, any, really any at all. I mean, they had two sacks, and one of them was because a quarterback tripped on a guy's foot. Um, you know, that that those are all things that were that were areas that, that they discussed needed to improve, and they didn't. Um, and that's been a big reason that, that you're sitting here right now wondering if they can get the bowl eligible. Graham, special teams. Special teams is such a helter <laughs> because in, in one sense, until this last week, you had the nation's best punter by a way. So he was on pace to like have the greatest season ever in punting average. And who knows, he may get that back still. He's a good, really great punter. And it, I would say bailed him out of some things, but not he really hadn't because the defense would just give up whatever extra yards he got. <laughs> yeah, in. right. Yep. <laughs> it, it, it really 90 plus even... yard drives. How many? I mean, they might set the record for 90 plus yards drives allowed in a season. Yeah. yeah, he's almost embarrassing the defense because then they just give up the extra 20 yards he picks up. And it, it is, you know, it's been inconsequential almost. Uh, and then you have moments where Jaden Reed has, I mean, he's had two returns for touchdowns called back. And those are inconsequential. Those are consequential and could be. They, neither one cost them the game. Neither one mattered that much in the actual game they happened in, um, but they could. But as Jane Reed will say, they're on tape, and that's his money. And th- th- that's when that happens. Like you can get frustrated as a fan, but and you should. But for that guy, and that's on NFL film, and that's very important. And when people go, why, you know, will they have him still return punts? I'm going to tell you right now, I think Jaden Reed would fight Mel Tucker to the death to take him off that position because you're pulling money out of his pocket. You better have 
you better have a, a four million dollar NIL deal ready to um, ready to go or something if you're going to take him off punts. Um, but so that said, the kicking game is not something you can trust. They have not really found somebody there, and, and part of that has been the the situation with the long snapper. And um, and so I, I would. I would put it right down the middle because when you've got the best punter in the country and then you've got this kicking game that's been shaky, I'd put it at a five. Chris? Yeah, I would probably have to agree with the the C to C minus grade because I do think that the issues with, um, well, what, what, you know, the issues with the long snapper are certainly something that, you know, that's an injury situation and nobody's carrying a second or third long snapper is as good as the first. That's, I mean, that let's face it. That's, that's a absolute specialist position, but the problems with the kicker are really the ones where you look at it and you say, geez, what is going on there? Because, you know, they brought in Ben Patton in the middle of camp that, that said, I mean, it more than likely had been arranged before that, but now all of a sudden in the middle of camp, you got competition that changes the dynamic of that affects a true freshman's confidence um, you know, Adam hasn't looked great, um, when he did get in there and now he's got the job last week. So, um, you know, that's something that should have been ironed out normally during camp. But when you bring a guy in the middle of camp, I'm not necessarily sure where that will fall, but you got to get production there. You can't have, you can't leave the points on the board, particularly at Maryland, like you did in the kicking game. I think stone has been average to below average on kickoffs which has affected field position, which, you know, on, on that respect, that was one area where I think Matt Coglin really did a, a quietly good job last year and the year before it improving um, not just what he did as a kicker all around, but what, what the coverage units were able to do and, and setting the defense up off kickoffs a little better position. Um, but then you also have Behringer who's just booming them and, dropping him inside the five. And I think that's ultimately, you know, it might, it might affect his yardage totals sometimes, but sometimes those 35, 40, 45 yarders that he puts at the one or two uh, from a complete standpoint are astounding. I mean, not drew Chrisman astounding, but very, very, you know, you, you can see why he's getting the recognition as a mid season, all American and what, you know, he might end up winning the Ray guy award. So, and I, the other thing I think that's kind of taken a hit, I and mean, Graham talked about the punt returns with Jaden Reed, and they're not going to pull him out of that, but the kickoff return has struggled. Without him and Naylor back there, I mean, they've gotten next to nothing between Bernard, Broussard, and Tyrell Henry, who looks like he's got a little bit of juice to him, but then didn't dress this week. So I think a C-minus is kind of where I would put the whole – as the unit as a whole, because I think there have been some good things and some, some things that are pretty, pretty bleak. All right. Final, final category here. <laughs> I've seen the scores for, or, or we've all listened to the scores for the first three categories. So I can't imagine this is going to be a stunning number here. Graham coaching. A 12. No, um, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's a good, it's a good question. And there are a lot of different things that go into this. So some is the development of, you know, like what all goes into coaching coaching yeah. has so much more on them right it's the development of uh, of the roster and where that is it was it's the ability to get the right guys to create the depth of the transfer portal um it's the um maximizing what you have 
Um, and so really it is not going well for the most part. Now, I think you have to give a staff credit when a team doesn't quit, when there's good leadership, when there seems to be a decent culture and still joy about these guys to a certain degree. And I think that's all really, really important. And so there's, there's, and I think, you know, being able to recruit and we'll see how, where this class lands during this and keep that sort of mindset that things, the wheels aren't coming off, I think is important. Um, but you know, the offense is not hummed. The defense has been a sieve. You know, you got a game where you did not have a score or or force a punt against Minnesota until the very last minute with the score, and and and, and that sort of game just sticks with me. Um, and then you've got some game management stuff here and there. Um, I, you know, I, I would say a two right now for the staff. Chris. Yeah, I probably would have gone a uh, lower grade than a D um, had I not seen the finally seen some adjustments with that 4-3 last week. I think that to me goes a long way. Um, the offense, I think, is still going to, regardless of what Jay Johnson calls, you, you can try and coach around offensive line issues as much as you can. But if you don't have a Kenneth Walker, so much you can do. That I do think that they didn't. There, there were some moments where they used Jaden Reed and swing passes um, that work, but those those have kind of gone by the wayside with his injuries. Um, that you know those things that can help replicate a run game aren't being used. Like I said, with the tight ends and, and those quick hitters at times, um, you know, effectively. Um, so some of that falls on on Jay Johnson there. Um, that I think. From the defensive standpoint, up until, like I said, the switch to some 4-3, um, which we'll see in in the coming weeks, I think particularly the next two games, if that sticks or if that was a one-game thing, I'd imagine it sticks, but it's also again on tape there. So um, we'll see how much that is went from a surprise factor against Wisconsin to versus what actually is good. You know what I'm if if that makes any sense. So what is production from that four three? Is it when teams have it on tape and they're they're planning to face it? Uh, how are they going to attack it? And how does Michigan State's defense respond? I think that's still TBD a little bit, but the willingness to shift I think gives Scotty Hazelton after really just an abysmal uh, first six games that gives him a little bit of cushion. And then Mel Tucker, I mean, you know, you can't come into a season and talking national championship goals if mm -hmm. if you if you feel that you don't have that kind of team so there may have been a disconnect there you know maybe the injuries caused a, a, a team to unravel a little bit maybe it really was death by inches but not necessarily from the issues that were prevalent last year carrying into this year um so i think maybe you needed a little tempered expectations because as much as people want to talk about the contract i think the 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 bravado with which he and his players came into this season talking national title without even talking about Big Ten title when they haven't won one, I think you know it's kind of a misstep. You gotta you gotta take take it incrementally, um, and you know then that goes beyond the in game stuff like Graham said, um, which you're gonna have that in any season, but um, certainly. You know, between the the excess bravado and the lack of player development, you kind of look at this staff and you say, "Well, 
Do you give them a pause? Do you give them a pass for for one more year until they have more of their guys playing? I don't know. Well, I mean, it's that's kind of interesting. Yeah, and, and like so, and I think there are two things. Yeah, I mean, you could argue incomplete in certain stuff in the overall program, yeah. right? Because I mean, I think you really have to give them a pass for two more years in certain ways. Like, I think they're. I mean, I, if if I were if you were thinking about a year abroad in uh, Europe or China, somewhere where you might not be around for the college football season and you're going to sign up for it, next year is the year to do it. You might miss something in 24, 25. You're not going to miss anything next year. And that's not going to be Mel Tucker's fault. That's not going to be this coaching staff's fault. Now, do you need to see incremental development? you need to see places where they're better? Absolutely, all that's true. But they're going to lose a lot of guys from a not great offensive line already, but we'll see how many of their young guys are ready. I think that could be an issue a year from now still. Um, you're going to lose, you know, Jaden Reed. Now I think they'll be, they'll have enough playmakers and they'll be fine there. Uh, I think they'll be fine at running back. I, the, you know, defensively we'll, we'll see. Um, but I, I don't think it looks a whole lot better next year necessarily. And so, and the, some of that is, is really not, I mean, to be realistic, isn't on them. Um, but you're right. I mean, they, they, the expectations were not really set for that either. And, and that is, you don't come out and say, you know, hey, guys, we're, we're going to stink this year. But you, you, can, you can temper it so, look, this may be a little bit of more of a process than we thought. And it, and it sort of break, people brace for it a little bit better. So, so what was your grade, Chris? If you said it, I forgot it. I'd say probably a D. Otherwise, it would have been probably a D minus without last week's game. Yeah. All right. Well, when if they can win uh, these remaining five games, I guess I would get it up to a C, a plus, or a B minus, right? So something to shoot for for the Michigan State. Well, I, listen, <laughs> listen, that can that can change in a hurry because you got three ranked opponents yep. down the stretch. I mean, you can make you can make changes and make improvements. If your coaching staff and and those playing groups that can ultimately determine the the final grade is much better, because if you're getting these guys back from injuries, if you're starting to to make those those you know closer, you get get a little closer to the team that you thought you had, and you start to see that a little bit, then all of a sudden I think those grades change a little bit, and you say, well, yeah, it was a lot about those injuries. Um, and yes, they were able to make some adjustments and, and coach through some issues. Uh, if they're able to somehow go through and, and get a, you know, two or three wins against these ranked teams. But that's, I mean, that's, that's obviously, as I said earlier, not, it's easier said than it's done. I'm going to say something sort of ridiculous here, but this is why you have to go to the 12 team playoff. And Michigan state is never going to be in that conversation this year. But in a, in a world where a team lost um, its top receiver was not healthy, its all conference defensive tackle wasn't healthy, its 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 safety in the backbone of its defense wasn't healthy, and they all come back and they're undefeated with those guys. In theory, Michigan State is still unbeaten. Now that may change this year, but in the college football playoff world, the way they're supposed to look at it, the same way as the NCAA tournament world, this is why you got to go to twelve teams so that like seasons aren't over because of injuries, because there are teams around the country everywhere this happens to, and and again, Michigan State was not a team this year, as it turns out, that had any shot at that, but it is sort of one of those things, as Chris said, they will now be partly judged on how they perform with a healthier contingent and with more parts, and and I do think, you know. What we saw 
the Michigan and Penn State game was good news, bad news for MSU. It was bad news that Michigan's offensive line looks like it can bully you, and that could be trouble. It was good news in that Penn State looks vulnerable. They don't look like they're going to bully you up front. And after Penn State struggled with Northwestern, albeit in bad weather too, that that game at the end of the year, those last three games, as much as these next two games are intimidating, those last three games of the year look more manageable and, and, and for Michigan State than they did before this last week. But there is a lot of football for, for Penn State ahead too. So Absolutely. You know, you, know, you could see – changes there i mean that's you know five games is a lot of football i know people don't want to necessarily think that because the if you're out of it right now you're out of it but um you know i mean that's that's uh actually for penn state they've got six games left they got minnesota ohio state indiana maryland rutgers and michigan state so i mean you know if they can you know you you somehow get through that you know it'll be interesting to see where their season's at and particularly with being at home uh to end the year so um I don't know. It's 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 a lot of there's a lot of interesting subplots ahead. I think that you know, you like like all mid season things. Like, and, and how many times have I said this, Grim? You've heard me say this a number of times. Um, it, there's like an a no, October amnesia in college football that people forget how much things can change wildly in the final month of the year uh, from across the national landscape and really from some individual teams as they they get towards the end of the year so that's i, I always kind of make sure that i put that caveat in when you get to the mid-season point that the most important stuff is still ahead all right any final thoughts before we sign off for, for this week uh basketball season starts in 20 days that's all that's all i got uh, on my list i don't know if we have any basketball related notes we needed to hit on or not just be kind to each other for a week and a half that's all i would say that's a that's a big ask but i appreciate you putting it out there graham yeah i mean could we nobody's doing anything this saturday they could just play it now and then take the bye week after if they really want it <laughs> i don't think that's going to happen i think we just got to got to ride it out for 11 days yep. of venom vitriol and a lot of trash talk and, and i'll say this like Nobody should. I mean, the trash talk can be fun because there is everybody's got the comeback. Like Michigan State is three and four. Michigan looks like a legit contender, and this game could go really, really poorly. And so I would, if I was a Michigan State fan, I'd be cautious about the level of trash talk. For Michigan fans, yo, it's ten of fourteen. You've lost. Like you really don't have a place either. So like, you still haven't beat Mel Tucker. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe just don't have Twitter for for ten days. <laughs> like. Nobody's got really a point. Hey, right now. hey, think about it this way: No Big Ten team has beaten Michigan since Michigan State. That is true. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. And and in the last three seasons, no team has beat Michigan twice, other than Michigan State. All right, you're just adding fuel to the fire for the Wolverines to to put on their motivation board. <laughs> I'm throwing these facts out now. Also, by the way, this is the first time in the history of this rivalry that. Both of these teams had a week off before they played each other, which it's it's an anomaly and it's interesting, and you know it's 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 going to amplify a lot of things these these next eleven days. And this is only the second night game in the series history, and the first one, which was uh twenty seventeen, was won by Michigan State. So, so there you go. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press 
and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Chris Solari, at Graham underscore couch, at Phil underscore friend, and at LSJ Greenwhite. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.